Good morning, everybody. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Confession for you all. Uh, I've never seen a Charlie Brown movie, like any of them. No Christmas movies, no Great Pumpkins, but a lifetime of... <laughs> I'm getting booed from the back. A lifetime of missing out ends tonight, though. Uh, I hope you'll join us. Thanks, Danielle and Richie and the family ministry team for putting on such a great event. It's going to be awesome. Uh, if this is your first time joining us today, if it's been a while, welcome. Uh, we're so glad to have you joining us today. We've been in a series called Ears to Hear and spending time with Jesus's letters to the seven churches from Revelation chapter two and three. Uh, we've been listening uh, to what Jesus is saying to these real churches in real moments in time, going through real things and about who he is calling them to be. Uh, and in the same way, we've also been listening for what the Spirit is saying to us, a real church in a real moment in time, going through real things about who Jesus is calling us to be. Uh, and Jesus loves the church. Uh, the scriptures call it his bride. As we've been looking at these letters, one thing that we keep coming back to each week is that these words, which are at times challenging and direct, come from a place of presence. Jesus loves the church. Jesus is with these churches. He is present to the moments when they get it right and the moments when they don't in the same way that he is present to us. And so most of these letters, including the one that we're looking at today, uh, contain both encouragement and correction. Because uh, that's what you do when you love something and you want what's best for it. Uh, love calls out and names what's beautiful uh, and it also speaks clearly to what's broken. And so these letters hold both of those things, encouragement and correction in tension with each other. All encouragement and no correction isn't loving. Uh, and all correction and no encouragement isn't loving. And, and Jesus loves the church. And there's another tension that we're going to run straight into today as we look at this letter, and that's that there are things that only God can do that we cannot do for ourselves, and there are things that God won't do for us that are our responsibility. Have you run into this before? Uh, I, I know for me it's easy to think of it as like all of one or all of the other, like it's all God or it's all me, and sometimes I go back and forth really fast. You know, in one moment I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. I cannot do this for myself. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, Jesus, look how good I'm driving. <laughs> Anybody else do that? Just me? Okay, point is, there are things that God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves, and there are things that God won't do for us that are our responsibility, and both of those things exist at the same time. And we're gonna run straight into this today as Jesus speaks to a church community that is saved by his grace about the choices they are making about how they live into that reality where God's work meets their personal responsibility. And, and we'll see that Jesus cares a lot about it. Jesus cares about what is done by his people in his name. And I just want to give you a heads up that there are parts of this letter to the church in Thyatira that are really challenging. And so I want to remind us again that these words come from a place of presence and are a call to wholeness because that's what love does. Uh, we know from Scripture that God is patient. God's so patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But God also knows the heart, though. Knows when we've set ourselves against his gracious and patient invitation to repent and come home. Uh, And and we'll see that here, too. Uh, But most of all, God wants his people to know him. Not just know about him. Because we can know a lot about God, but never really know him. And that's the thing that changes us. That's what leads us in wisdom to be able to discern what is good and true and beautiful, a reflection of him in the world and what's not. That's what leads us in courage as we follow the way of Jesus. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. As we get started, would you pray with me? God, will we know your presence and your love this morning? Uh, As we sit with this passage, these words spoken to a real church and real people, made in your image who you love so much, would we feel the complexity and the tension? Uh, The reality of their choices with your deep love for them. Would that open us up to a similar conversation with you today? In everything this morning, would we hear your invitation to know you? Your love, your presence, your goodness, your holiness, your invitation to be whole. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Our passage for today comes from Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. As you turn or tap your way there, let me fill in some background and context for us as we head into the passage. Uh, Thyatira was a trade center. Uh, There were all sorts of different professional guilds, you know, professional organizations that were located there. More on those later. Uh, And all kinds of people came from all over to work and do business there. And so it was this place where ideas and influences uh, from all over the region came and were blended together. And the church there was doing really well. Uh, We'll see that as we read that in many ways this church was flourishing which is why this passage should get our attention. Even in all the good things that were happening, there was someone in the church claiming to speak on God's behalf and leading people into some stuff. And no one was really saying or doing anything about it. And Jesus cares about what's being done in his name. And and he speaks to both groups. There's correction for this church and what this teaching was leading them to do. And we'll see for also for how it was able to take root in the first place. Uh, One more thing I want us to remember. Uh, This this is really important. Uh, These are words spoken to the church spoken to people who have already committed to following Jesus and live into the tension that only of what only God can do and what's their responsibility. I, I think that's helpful as we consider the tone and the focus of this letter, uh, that this is a letter to the church. Uh, there's an intensity here because Jesus cares about what is being said and done in his name. 
Uh, All right, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse uh, just to get oriented to what's happening uh, because trust me, we're going to need to. (laughs) This is apocalyptic literature. There's symbolism, imagery, references to things in different parts of time, the whole bit. Uh, Once we work our way through, we'll come back and zoom in on a couple of things that I think God might want to talk to us about today. Buckle up, get ready, let's go. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, I want us to think about that phrase, eyes like blazing fire. Uh, I've been on the other side of Brittany's eyes blazing like fire before, like (laughs) the bad kind. And uh, there's an intensity there for sure. Uh, But let's also remember that in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, Fire is a refining element. Uh, When you work with precious metals, you heat them up, which causes all the impurities in the metal to rise to the surface where they can be removed. See, Jesus, look here, functions in the same way. Really, all these letters do. Uh, They help bring the stuff that needs to get dealt with to the surface. Verse 19 I know your deeds. Remember, these words come from a place of presence. Jesus knows what's happening in this church, knows what this church is facing. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Like I said, this is a church that in a lot of ways was doing really well. And it's interesting to note the correlation between what Jesus says here and what's been written in the letters that we've looked at so far. You know, we looked at the letter to Ephesus that had deeds but no love, and and Thyatira has got both. Uh, They had faith that led to perseverance, like in Smyrna. And there was growth happening. They were doing more than they did at first. Their faith was translating into action, into service, into love, and into perseverance. Look, and those are things that I hope for for myself and for us as a community too. This was a church that in a lot of ways was doing really well. And and Jesus sees that and he names it and he calls it out. Verse 20, nevertheless, you knew there was a but coming, didn't you? This is a fancy but, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Uh, See, all those professional guilds, uh, those professional organizations, uh, they would seek favor from the gods by doing all sorts of stuff uh, that I was going to say, use your imagination to envision, but actually don't do that. (laughs) Uh, We get enough to go off of in this verse. Essentially, what's happening here is a blending of pagan worship practices into the way that these folks worshiped Jesus, what they did in his name. Uh, Except it wasn't reflective of Jesus at all. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Remember, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But here Jesus says there's been time and chances. And in the way that God sees what's in our hearts and in our minds, he knows the choice has been made. Verse 22, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. 
and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. The place where pleasure was sought will now become a place of suffering because the stuff that we chase sooner or later starts to chase us, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what it is, big or small, seemingly innocuous or not, uh, the stuff we chase sooner or later starts to chase us. And, and so this place where pleasure was sought will now become a place of suffering. And we hear again the offer of a way out, the invitation to come home, to repent, because God is patient and wants no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. And, and again, we run into the tension of our personal responsibility, the choice to step into the thing that God has done for us. Uh, verse 23 is a hard one. Here we go. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. These are hard words. You know, whether this is a reference to her followers or her actual children, you know, because this stuff tended to be like a whole household thing, uh, the message is clear. Jesus, whose eyes blaze like a refining fire, loves the church and, and is actually going to step in and intervene here. Uh, look back at what Jesus says here. Uh, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. Uh, if a minute ago when Jesus said in verse 20 that he was mad about people eating food sacrificed to idols, and you were like, uh, didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10 that uh, in some cases it didn't matter? Then you'd be right, and let's talk about that because I think it helps make the point because 1 Corinthians 10 is where that super famous verse comes from, it's like on the back of every Christian high school sports team's t-shirt, says this, I will strike her children dead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine like Grace Trinity Covenant JV girls volleyball team walking in like with that on their back? I'd be scared trying to, it's good to laugh with this stuff. Just kidding. Uh, no, this is it. First Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's continue in verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. See, the feasting in Thyatira wasn't for God's glory. It was in worship of something else. And Jesus knew the heart behind the action. Jesus knew the heart behind the action. And, and we also see here in Paul's words this orientation towards practicing the way of Jesus for the good of the other, uh, which is also relevant to what's going on here, and we'll see in the next verse. We doing okay? Sure? I'm not getting much response. We doing okay? 
All right. All right. We're covering a lot, I know, but we're laying a foundation. It's all going to come together, I promise. Verse 24 and 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. You could hear Jesus's tone there. Uh, I don't know if air quotes was a thing, but it's like this is what I imagine Jesus doing. You have have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Uh, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. A deep secrets phrase gives us another window into what's going on here. This false teaching is like a form of Gnosticism, where there'd be this secret knowledge about God and humanity that only a few select people knew, and if you were in the know, then you'd be able to like transcend life and live above the rest of the common people who didn't get it, and in that way, it was self-focused. It was self-serving. You chose into it to advance yourself, to seek your own good, not like what we just read about in 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus knows the heart behind the action. And, and with these Gnostic teachings, it, it was always Jesus and. Like it had, it was other stuff that you had to do or you had to be or you had to become. And that's why I love what Jesus says here. I will not impose any other burden on you. You don't need anything else. You don't need to be anything else. In me, you are enough. And verse 25 is really interesting for us to consider. Uh, I will not impose any other burden on you. Here it is. Except hold on to what you have until I come. What does the church in Thyatira have to hold on to? What do we have to hold on to? We'll come back to this one. Almost done. Last four verses. And then we'll hear Jesus talk about actually sharing his authority, uh, his God-given authority with those who are faithful, and he'll quote Psalm 2 uh, to do that, and, and then he'll use imagery that would have been familiar to this church to describe himself in a way that speaks again to the fact that this church doesn't need anything else but him. Verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one, here's Psalm 2. will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. That's him. That's Jesus. Jesus is the morning star. He's saying, I will give you me. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You did it, everybody. Great job. Feel free to get up and stretch. Rehydrate if you need to. Oriented enough to have a feel for what's going on here. Uh, basically, there's someone in this great church community who is drawing folks into some really awful stuff, and no one is really doing anything about it. That's what Jesus says. I have this against you. You tolerate it. As we transition into what in the world this might have to do with us, uh, what word of encouragement or what word of correction the Spirit might have for us today, I want to start with this person, Jezebel, because I think that will help bridge all of this together. You know, most Bible scholarly people think that Jezebel was a real person, uh, but with a symbolic name. 
that Jesus called her by a name that would create a very visceral reaction for people familiar with the history of God's covenant people. In 1 Kings chapter 16 to 19, we read about a woman named Jezebel who was married to Ahab, who the scriptures themselves say was the literal worst king of Israel up to that point. I mean, how's that for legacy? You know, the literal worst king of Israel, the Bible doesn't say literal, but I'm just saying it literally says that. Anyways, uh, the worst king of Israel up to that point, and Je- uh, Jezebel introduced Baal worship, which developed quite a following in Israel, and, and this was during the time of the prophet Elijah, and so if you've heard that story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal up on top of Mount Carmel, trying to see whose God is real by calling down fire from heaven, uh, that's uh, Jezebel's prophets. Jezebel and Uh, Ahab were in power at that time. And see, this is the connection that Jesus is making. Uh, This is a person leading my covenant people away from me from the inside. Just like Jezebel in 1 Kings married into the people of Israel, the prophetess Jezebel in Thyatira comes from inside the church. And just like her predecessor, she is leading the covenant people away from him, leading the covenant people of God away from him and into the worship of something else through some really awful practices. Uh, So what does this have to do with us? I don't think any of us are ever going to have the experience uh, of being told by somebody at church that we should go uh, to a feast and sex party in honor of a pagan deity so that our work goes good. Uh, let me know if that happens. (laughs) Uh, But let me phrase what's happening here in a different way for us. If we zoom out, here's what we see. Jezebel was a voice from within the church leading people to practice their faith in a way that was not congruent with the life, mission, and teachings of Jesus. Jezebel was a voice from within the the church leading people to practice their faith in a way that was not congruent with the life, mission, and teachings of Jesus. And it started with the heart. It started with the heart. A self-serving, self-focused orientation. Access to this secret knowledge, this expanded way of thinking, this new revelation that made you elite, that made you privilege that gave you the chance to look down on the others who didn't get it in the same way that you did. And it led to practicing the way of Jesus in a way that didn't look like him at all. Let's have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches this morning. It led to practicing the way of Jesus in a way that didn't look like him at all. And we've got some specific examples of that here. Uh, but I don't want us to let the fact that they are sex parties and pagan feasts let us escape the weight of this passage because the question that lifts right out of the page and presses on you and I this morning is does the way that we practice our faith, does the way that we live it, does the way that we step into the tension of what only God can do for us in our personal responsibility? Does it reflect the life, mission, and teachings of Jesus? Do we look like, sound like, feel like, speak like, act like, love like him? This is the tension, right? The the things that only God can do in our responsibility. 
Does the way that we practice our faith reflect the life, mission, and teachings of Jesus? And all of it, all of it. Not just the parts that we like because they're nice and they're easy to swallow, but the parts that are hard too. The parts that actually call the best out of us. The parts that call us to lay down our lives completely. The parts that call us to love our enemies and to pursue uncompartmentalized holiness. To live in a way that reflects Jesus in every area of our lives and to choose to lean into the Holy Spirit's healing work in the places that don't. There's this important correction to the overemphasis on religious performance and legalism that's happening right now. This beautiful reconnection to the depths of God's unconditional love and the comfort of his presence. Uh, look, but I, what I wonder sometimes is have we become so fixated on God's love and comforting presence that we've lost reverence for his holiness? That we've lost reverence for his holiness. Has the pendulum swung too far the other way? There is no safer place for our brokenness than God's presence. There's no safer place for your brokenness. There's no safer place for my brokenness than God's presence. Uh, But I I gotta wonder, are, are we stuck in a complacency and preservation of our own comfort and desires that we tolerate like this church in Thyatira parts of ourselves that are out of alignment with what God calls us to and where he wants to bring healing and wholeness. There is no safer place for our brokenness than God's presence. The invitation is by the power of the Holy Spirit to not stay that way. Does the way that we practice our faith reflect Jesus in every area of our lives? Have we gotten overly tolerant of the places that don't? Where is the Spirit calling us to lean into his healing presence in our lives? How did something so opposed to what is good and true and beautiful take root in this church that was doing so well? You wonder that? You know what I mean? How'd it happen? Theologian John Stott said this church had either very poor conscience or very little courage. Uh, There's probably a little bit of both of those things going on for sure. Uh, But here's what I want to offer us today, uh, and perhaps there's a word here for us too. This was a church with a beautiful heart that needed a firm foundation. This is a church with great love a church that was putting their faith into action through service and through enduring hard things, but that needed a firm foundation to stand on. Remember Jesus' words in verse 24 and 25. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So what did they have? They had the scriptures some of which were still in actual letter form circulating around. They had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them to guide them and empower them as they walked in Jesus' footsteps. And, And Jesus tells this church, I will give you the morning star. I will give you me. 
not information about me, not lists of things to learn, but me, because it's not knowing about God that changes us. It's knowing God himself that changes us, that gives us wisdom to be able to discern what is good and true and beautiful and the courage to walk in the way of Jesus. As broken as it is, uh, there is a beautiful thing happening in the church in our country right now. Uh, We're starting to grapple with the questions that we talked about today. Does the way that we practice our faith actually look like Jesus? And and we're recognizing ways that it hasn't. Uh, Stepping into spaces that we've either long overlooked or done damage in. But, But at the same time, as there's this collective reckoning of the past few decades of the church in America, there's been this pendulum swing. I feel it even in my own life. There's been this pendulum swing away from some of the good practices that help build that foundation just because of the performance emphasis that was placed on them. I I mean, how many of us have, did you read your Bible today, hangover? And so we just put it to the side. And, And right now, even in the broader church, there's this elevation of our own personal experience as like the ultimate source of truth and reality. And we're losing the impulse to hold our experience in surrender and submission to God's authority. And in doing so, we're becoming our own foundation. See, collectively, we're not in that different of a position than the church in Thyatira. So here's my encouragement for us this morning. to give the beautiful heart that God is forming at Highway in this season a firm foundation. Let's hold on to what he's given us. Let us not settle for simply knowing about God, but press into knowing God in a way that changes us. It gives us wisdom to discern what is good and true and beautiful, a reflection of him in the world and the courage to follow in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world around us. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. Jesus, I I pray that by the power of your spirit, you'd be drawing us into a deeper experience of you. A knowing you that transcends just facts and information and verses, but that takes root in the experience of our lives. God, would it change us? Would you give us a capacity to be able to hold your unconditional love and your call to wholeness and good tension with each other? Would you lead us in the way of Jesus? In a way that looks like, sounds like, feels like, acts like, loves like him. Pray these things in and for your name. Amen.
you know, passages like this, uh, they bring to the surface our need for renewal uh, in our own lives uh, and in the church, uh, little C church and big C church. And, and in this passage, there's this continual call, this continual invitation to repentance because that's where renewal begins. As we head towards communion, uh, we want to take some time and start with confession this morning because there's no safer place for our brokenness than God's presence. And so let's come before him with honesty about whatever the Spirit is pressing on our hearts this morning. We're going to leave just a little bit of space and then Jake and the band are going to lead us actually in singing a song of corporate confession and a song that also includes assurance of pardon and forgiveness of sin that we have because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Take a moment. Breathe deep. And let's come before God with honesty and transparency. Transparency.